0: Genesis 47, so Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen, and from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, Put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the years of my life. And they have not attained to the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. And Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Now, there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house, And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes for our money is gone? And Joseph answered, give your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with the food in exchange for their livestock all that year, for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, "'We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent.' The herds of, the, of livestock are my Lord's. There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food. And we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. So, Joseph Bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, and for all the Egyptians, oh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, They did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your households and as food for your little ones. And they said... You have saved our lives. May it please, my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus, Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph to him and said, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my father's. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, before we get going today, I want to let you know something. I got into the office this week, Friday, to type up my sermon, and I looked at the outline I had prepared, and it was printed already in the worship folder, and I thought, I don't like it. <laughs> so for those of you who are... Um, uh, left brain, kind of analytical, love to fill in those outlines, it's going to drive you crazy this morning, because I totally switched it up, changed the outline, and it's not what you have inside your your worship folder. Those of you who are a little more right brain and, and doodle most of the sermon anyways, you're not going to really care, so you guys are all fine, and maybe you listen that way and learn better by doodling, so it's not what you have in your worship folder, but I left a piece of paper in there so you can at least take notes. That's what I needed to let you know about uh, today. Well, the climax of our story of Joseph has been reached in 45 and 46 chapters uh, of Genesis. As Joseph revealed his true identity, sounds like a superhero movie or something, revealed his true identity. But that doesn't mean our story's over. As we head into Genesis 47 through 50, we've got the issues of these generations to come. This family, the family of Jacob's got to be settled. We've got, uh, we mentioned last week too, that we, we see a shift in the story now. A shift where Joseph was kind of the main character. Now to Jacob, or now as he's called Israel, becomes kind of the primary herald and speaker for these, the covenant promises of God for this family. And we really begin to get in this story today, even glimpses of the book of Exodus as this group of people flourishes uh, and uh, becomes to, starts to become somewhat of a nation, actually. Let's pray for a moment. God, bless your word today. Bless this text in our hearts with the Spirit's power. Transform us and lead us to the table as we think about um, our true home today, our true land, our true inheritance, uh, as we uh, will sing today, Jesus, we pray. Christ's name, amen. You know, something I've begun to realize about myself uh, as I've gotten older and in my adult years that I didn't quite see in my earlier years was uh, the, the tendency I have to get post-holiday blues after Christmas. Anybody relate? Anybody kind of get that kind of after Christmas time between Christmas and, and New Year? Something I think that if we're honest with all of us have on some level whether it's because the holidays didn't live up to your expectations or as a kid maybe you didn't get your favorite present you were hoping for or maybe you had a few of those special moments with family that you wished you could hold on to them and then pff, they're just gone. And then the beginning of a new year kind of comes and smacks you in the face at times and the dull ache of reality sets in. There's something in our hearts wants so desperately to be filled sometimes by what the holidays offer us, what they give us, and, and, and the home that we have that's full maybe of love and cheer and safety and, and permanence and acceptance, all those things that maybe you feel at holiday times. And usually around those times of years you see articles that pop up. How to, how to deal with the post-holiday blues, and it's something usually like Uh, get a new hobby, exercise, green your home with plants, or uh, rescue an animal, declutter, things like that. You know, it's kind of innocuous, sort of silly things. And I don't think any of those things can really fill what's going on in our hearts when the holidays don't fully satisfy. The desires we find there. C.S. Lewis had a great quote. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. (laughs) I love that quote. My hope this morning is that that other world that Lewis talked about and the savior of our world will take our hearts and minds there, our desires there this morning to our our true home. As we really, we're sojourners here. We're sojourners, kind of like Jacob and his family. And this morning we're going to see them the family and jacob moved to egypt and they find themselves sojourning in a strange land, a land of strangers. maybe dealing with what could be described as post-holiday blues, the loss of home, leaving behind the familiar and uncertain future. jacob and the family had to experience all of this. but we're going to see when they got there to egypt, there was one who wasn't a stranger, joseph. And there was one even closer to them than that, God himself, who poured out blessings on all and shows his grace and goodness and kindness in people. So we're going to look today at a few parts of this text. Let's start with looking at what God is doing, God's providential blessing we're going to see for all. First, we're going to look at what God is doing, then what Jacob is believing, and then what we're waiting for. What God is doing, what Jacob is believing, and that what we're waiting for. So first, what's God doing in this story? What is he doing? He's providing blessings for all. So Jacob and the family, they arrive at the doorstep of Egypt, carrying all their belongings. And The text records Joseph approaches Pharaoh and says to him, uh, verse 1, Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan, They're now in the land of Goshen. Kind of interesting. They're already in the land that he's kind of going to (laughs) ask for. Kind of a bit sly. They're already there. Now remember, this is only year two of the famine. So there's five more years to go that Joseph has predicted. And things are still very, very, very difficult. The famine's been said to be severe time and time again in these chapters. And we know from history that at least on two occasions, uh, the famine in this area was so severe that the people resorted to cannibalism. So we're talking about a major crisis here for this area of the world. So what is God doing in the midst of this crisis? What's he doing in the midst of your life when it feels like famine? I mean, your fridge is probably full. The shelves are getting a little bare at Costco and, and Freddy's, aren't they? <laughs> but your fridge is probably full. You probably got your garden in the ground growing too. And we don't f- experience the same kind of famine, but there are famines in life, aren't there? Seasons when we go without something, whether it's comfort or joy or security or a certain level of finances we're hoping for. What is God doing? Let's look here at number one, the sojourner's flourishing. Let's look at the sojourner's flourishing. I want us to understand here this morning the gravity of what is taking place here, the faith that it would have taken Jacob and his family to make this move and then to step into the court of Pharaoh as we're going to see in a moment. The history that would have been in Jacob's mind through all those chapters of Genesis, the promises that have been made the commanded by, by God then after all these promises of the promised land to now leave the promised land. That history would have been in Jacob in the foreground of his mind. Five generations now had been promised this land that they had been asked to now leave. Started with his grandfather Abraham, Isaac his dad, and then Jacob himself, and then Joseph and his sons, and then now they have kids too. So, so five generations now have been promised this land. And Jacob now sojourns with all of that history and all of those promises in his past, and he moves to Egypt. Maybe it's like dropping your firstborn off at college or or selling your childhood home or emptying out your loved one's closet who's passed. The feeling of walking away from something you thought was so permanent, so certain, so sure you could just taste it and then being asked to let it go, walk away from it. That gives us a little bit of sense of what Jacob was probably feeling. This is what we're talking about here, five generations of promise and the brothers and Jacob, um, they come and they 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 say it before Pharaoh. We're, we're sojourners. We're hoping in promises. We've got this deferred gratification, something that's been held off from us for five generations. We're waiting and waiting and waiting. What is a sojourner? It's someone who's not quite at home, uh, a tent dweller, a, a temporary resident. I mean, more like a, kind of a refugee thing, that kind of language. Refugees are all over the Bible. And they are. They're refugees from their land where there's a famine and they've now come to Egypt, a temporary resident. What an uprooting this would have been for them from the land of promise. Jacob had basically desi- uh, resigned himself to die in a strange land, never see the land of his fathers again, committed to leave behind the familiar from the unfamiliar, it's really kind of precarious. We know that feeling when there's some of us that want to go visit our homestead or go see the place where we were a child before we die one more time. That kind of feeling, that kind of uh, activity that many people do, or, or some people want to um, be cremated and scattered on the land somewhere where they grew up. That's kind of the emotions Jacob is dealing with here. It's a mighty act of faith And God rewards it. He blesses it. His providential kindness of blessings. Let's look at it. They're given land. They are given land. In the middle of this famine, look what happens to the people of God. They settle in Goshen before really even having been given permission. They're there. And Joseph brilliantly works to get Pharaoh to give Goshen to the family. Remember, we talked about it. Goshen was fertile land. So on the fringe of Egyptian society, uh, where they're able to remain distinct enough to become their own people, the people of God, not overwhelmed by the culture of Egypt, they're kind of on the fringe, but also close enough to gain the protection of Egypt, the security of Egypt, like that ark we talked about last week of deliverance. They're there able to flourish and have this wonderful, beautiful land. Also, Pharaoh, for some reason, has got a phobia of shepherds, the text says. I don't know why, but so it kind of keeps them away a little bit because that's what they are. So he he has the family mention it, and Joseph got what he wanted as he kind of straddled these two worlds of family and Pharaoh. Verse 1, they're already there in Goshen. Kind of tells him if it's it's a done deal, sort of subtle. He knows how to handle people. He's wise. And verse 3, you know, he only takes in five of the brothers you know, all 12 probably would have been a little too much for Pharaoh's court. They come bustling in, you know, this is your family, Joseph? He says, I'm just going to take the, the most polite, the clean, cleaned up ones probably. He takes five in there. And they go in, he says, we are shepherds. We're shepherds. But because of Joseph and because of the providential kindness of God to his people, Pharaoh actually goes far beyond what Joseph asks and responds with actually blessing to this people. He gives them the best of all the land. Think about that. Think about that. I mean we tend to get a little frustrated when we hear things are being given to others who are not maybe uh, originally here, from here. That happens. He gives this away to foreigners. It's pretty incredible. It's, uh, it seems unnatural. Uh, when he's responsible for the Egyptians. He gives these, these, these nomads, these wanderers, these Israelites the best land. It's incredible. It's an amazing blessing from God. In fact, it's actually unbelievable that a leader would do that. It's got to be the hand of God. Protecting, caring, providing an ark of incubation and deliverance for his people like Noah's ark that kept him from the wrath of God. The flood here now with this family, they're protected in this strange foreign land. Free land, the best land. And your brothers can take care of my cattle too. So free land and a government job, that's not bad. (laughs) Not bad. If that's what they wanted, that's what they got. This is one of those times when God rewards a faithful act in the immediate, right there. But he doesn't always do that for us, does he? Faithful acts of obedience are not always seen to be given immediate reward or blessing. He doesn't promise that if we act faithful, he'll always instantly reward. And in fact, sometimes doing the faithful, obedient thing incites Satan or the world against us, doesn't it? Or a family member, maybe even. Obedience comes with a cost, But the promises we have as his children, promises that might not result in immediate reward for you like it did Jacob and the family here, but promises to look forward to something. Well, as Jacob did too, the promised land wasn't his right now, but they're promises from this very same God. The promises we have are from the promises that the same God that gave Jacob promises. And if he's the same this morning, will he not also keep his promises for you, for me? I've got to believe he will because he's always shown himself to be faithful in scripture. We know Exodus, they do go back to the promised land in the book of Joshua, don't they? He will. He will reward. He will give, he will follow through on his promises. Whether given land part of their flourishing. And the aged patriarch Jacob now is brought before Pharaoh. And instead of bowing before Pharaoh, Jacob gives a blessing to Pharaoh. Let's take a look at it. Jacob gives this blessing to Pharaoh. It's fascinating part of this passage here, the meeting between the Lord of Egypt, Pharaoh on the one hand, and the father of promise, Jacob on the other. I mean, the only thing these two have in common is Joseph. That's it. The only thing these two have in common, the Lord of Egypt embodies security, royalty, condescension, and and the other, God's servant, Jacob, precarious, landless existence, unstable, desert wanderer, despised shepherd, That's whom God works through. That's who God chooses to work through. But here, even given these differences, Jacob has the better part. The father of promise has the way better part than the Lord of Egypt. Twice he blesses Pharaoh, once at the beginning and once at the end. Hebrews 11, which speaks back a lot to Genesis, says, if you remember the passage, but it says, without a doubt, the lesser was blessed, or the lesser uh, is blessed by the greater. The lesser is blessed by the greater. And it was speaking of Melchizedek blessing Abraham. The lesser was blessed by the greater. But the principle holds true here as well. Pharaoh's the lesser here. The God of Egypt is the lesser here. The ruler of that land was the lesser here, being blessed by the greater Jacob, the covenant head of God's blessings. That's why he was greater. He was one of God's people was a follower of God. who was a believer in Yahweh, the one who'd been given the promises. Pharaoh was not the greater, even though it looked like it on the surface. Even though if you stood in that room and said, I want to be on team Pharaoh, not team Jacob, Jacob was the greater. God's hand is on Jacob, and now Jacob believes the promises beyond the Egyptian reality. And it's now the promise bearer who's holding court with Pharaoh. Jacob's not merely blessing Pharaoh it's kind of a nicety saying thank you for the land. It is that, but it's also so much more. When Jacob's grandfather Abraham was called out of Ur, God told him, "You will be a blessing to the nations and you will bless them." And here what we see is a partial fulfillment of that. Those prophecies to Abraham, "You will be a blessing to the nation." Now Jacob nations, now Jacob is becoming that for Egypt. Jacob may not be the greatest in the land of Egypt, but in God's eyes, he is. He's the promise bearer. Blessed to be a blessing to the world. That's what we're called to be, actually. Do you know that? We're called, we're blessed to be a blessing. To carry on even that fulfillment of that prophecy to Abraham. Those who bless you, I will bless. Why is that? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you carry even something greater than the promises Abraham had with him. You have the gospel. You have the good news of Jesus Christ. You have the answer for the world. And it's not something you've got to carry a stack of books with a backpack around with you. It's in your heart. It's on your lips, hopefully, and in your mind, on your tongue. We carry with us a gospel. Blessed to be a blessing. Didn't we just sing it? Redeemed to what? Redeemed Redeemed to redeem. We just sang that. You and I are blessed to be a blessing, redeemed to redeem, love to love, forgiven to, forgi- to forgive, all of those things. The Lord is not impressed, obviously by this story, with position or power or influence as the world sees it. You know what he loves? He loves sojourners who believe in him. That's who God loves. Sojourners who believe in in him, who hold fast to the promises and live obedient lives like Jacob is here. You know, none of us here, I think I could say this pretty safely, none of us here are the elite probably in society. You probably would agree with that. <laughs> Maybe some of you are like, hey, wait a minute, I'm pretty, I'm pretty elite. <laughs> and yet Jesus said, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. We've seen the fulfillment of so many more promises than Jacob even had. We have so much. Blessed to be a blessing, redeemed to redeem. Well, as a result, the land of Pharaoh is at his disposal and they do flourish. But in stark contrast to that, the rest of Egypt is subjugated to Pharaoh because of the famine. So let's look at the Egyptians as they languish. They give away their land and yet they still thank Joseph. They give away their land, and yet they thank Joseph. We see, we, see this. we see this in verses 13 to 26. Verse 12, we're going to ca- kind of summarize this. Joseph provides food for all of his brothers and father, and then 13, there's no food in the land, and we've got this long description that goes on. What's, what's, what's its purpose? Why is it there? This long back and forth between the people and Joseph. Well, first it's to let you know how severe the famine was so severe, parents watching their children starve and their aged grandparents starve and trying to find food themselves. It makes for us a reality of how great the danger was to Jacob's family, who if they die, remember, we're not sitting here today as the promised Savior was to come through them. And so we can appreciate how good God was to his people in this moment when we see how severe the famine was. But it sets up a contrast as well. All of Egypt is becoming servants to Pharaoh. And the family of Jacob is three, free through the provision of Pharaoh and Joseph to his family. Verse 20 is the explanation. Look at verse 20 with me. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt. Oh, excuse me, wrong chapter. Uh, verse 20. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, For all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. And down in verse 27, thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. So the Egyptians are selling everything to Pharaoh. An extension of Jacob's blessing on him actually too. And as Pharaoh grows in power and wealth, and, and Jacob's family is buying land and planting and living and having f- and have food. It's a total contrast. Kind providence towards his people, but there's also a kindness to the Egyptians here. They're, they're, they're thanking Joseph here again, calling him a savior actually again. Obviously it was difficult, but they were alive due to the actions of Joseph. There's a temptation here to judge this by modern standards or modern lenses as we think of slavery or servanthood. And we just can't do that. There's no government help here. There's no handout. There's no safety nets for these people. There's no refrigeration or freezers. There's no Costco's or Freddy's. This is life or death. This is life or death. And actually the 20% that Joseph and Pharaoh set up was actually really mild compared to some of the records that show some Pharaohs were up to 50 We got it pretty good, actually. Well, maybe some of us are close there, but it was pretty good, actually, at 20% given the history and the time that they lived in. God is kind. And he's good to all, and it's true, but to his people here and to us, he's especially kind. He's especially good. His special providence, his special care, for his people, this is a really crystal clear illustration of Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for the good of those who love God, who've been called according to His purpose. He loves all people. He's good to all people. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, but He's especially good to His people. In Christ Jesus, this is our God showing kind, providential blessings for all, and especially for his chosen people. So that's what he's up to. He's blessing his people. He's blessing obedience. He's growing them. He's caring for them. That's what God is doing. But what is Jacob believing? Let's take a look at that next. What is Jacob believing? Let's read 28 to 31 again. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, years of his life were 147. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I've found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you said. He said, Swear to me, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Jacob was in Egypt, but not of it. As Jesus prayed for those who are us in the world, but not What does that mean? Of course, Jacob lived there, it says, 17 more years and would have had um, life there and relationships there and maybe friendships there and invested in the land and his family there. Probably got to know the Egyptian culture a little bit more and probably enjoyed much of those peaceful 17 years. But it wasn't his hope. It wasn't his ultimate hope. How quickly I find myself realizing that I've put ultimate hope in the things of earth. When do we see that? When they grip, slip through our fingers. When we lose them. When they disappear, we realize rather than be disappointed, which you should be when bad things happen in life, we're undone. We're destroyed by it. We become unraveled. That's the difference. Of course, in a fallen world, we're going to attach our heart and our lives to things. We should invest in the here and now, love in the here and now, be part of redeemed to redeem in this world in the here and now. But it can't be our everything. It can't be our ultimate. It can't be our final home because everything in this world is going to disappear at some point. He was in the world, Egypt, but not of it. As Jesus prayed for us, those who are in the world, but not fully of it. Sojourners is the word, right? Jacob trusts in the promises of God until the end as he exercises a faithful patience. He waited a lifetime and didn't see fulfillment. But in his death, he would point all the family there. He would point everyone there in his death, Don't trust in the here and now. Trust in the promises of God. Bury me in the land. Bury me in the land. Think about that. Would he want to be buried there if he knew his family wasn't going back? (laughs) No, he'd probably, keep me close to you guys, wherever you're gonna land. Keep me there. He says, bury me in the land. We've got a sweet scene here between the father and son, strange as well, as he asks Joseph to swear by him by placing his hand under his thigh, a uh, a ritual of the day. Joseph, bury me in Canaan, the tomb of our fathers. Joseph, my son, don't forget the promises. Don't forget the covenant. Bury me in Egypt. Makes me think about my own parenting. Or your grandparenting? Are you pointing them to the promised land, the next generation? Would they look at your life and go, yeah, there's something coming? Are you saying to them, don't bury me in Egypt, take me home? It's challenging for me this week as I thought about that. If we were to ask our kids, our grandkids to summarize our life when we were gone in a obituary or a um, just sharing in a, a service? What would they say? Would one, would one of the things they said be, he, they pointed to me to the promised land. They pointed me to the promised savior. That's what Jacob's doing here. Bury me. Don't bury me in Egypt. Bury me in the promised land. Let my burial be a symbol to you and others. Our home's not in Egypt, Jacob. God's not done with us. Our, home, our hope is not here, but someday, Jacob, someday our people will be together there where God has promised, in the promised land, in the, in the promised home, the country, and we'll all be together. We'll all be there. His great concern was that Joseph and his descendants was focused on the world to come and the promise of that world. Just wait, Joseph. Wait, don't put all your chips in here. Don't, 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 don't think this is everything. Don't think that all your eyes can see is all of reality. Those are promises for us too. Because I'm tempted to be not just in the world, but of the world. As I know you are. And we're tempted to let every headline kind of drag us, aren't we? Fully into one state of being or emotion or state of worry. Worry. It's really easy with the headlines nowadays, isn't it? So easy. Or the state of the church, there's people throwing up their hands, wringing their hands, going, we're post-Christian, that means what do we do? We're, it's lost, we are outsiders, it's antagonistic, and yes, there's truth to some of that. But the promises, the promises, the promised land, the promised one, the savior, don't bury me in Egypt, Joseph, Which brings us to the end. God's kind providential blessings to us and what we're waiting for. What are we waiting for? I think of a few Christmases back as I started today talking the sermon about those post-holiday blues and I remember a few Christmases back, quite a few years now, but we were leaving my father's house on New Year's Eve He lives down in Fallbrook, San Diego area, and I think we'd flown down there on a Christmas Eve from here, and we just had a great time at his house. It even actually kind of, Southern California snowed, slushy ice rain, it was kind of fun though, we made ice compacted balls, Uh, they did not feel very good, (laughs) but that was pretty unique for Fallbrook, San Diego County. We had a great time, great food, and my brothers and their wives and kids came, and great time-opening presents, and the kids had a blast, and they all got along and played on my dad's property there and ran around and just wore themselves out in the sun, and it was just so good, so good, and we got in the car, and we were getting ready to leave, and my dad came up to the passenger window, and he said, you know, are you sure you can't stay another night? I wish you could stay longer. We had the car packed and everything was in there. The kids were ready to go and we were driving back to Northern Orange County and then we'd be coming home, but are you sure you can't stay longer? I wish you could just stay a little longer. And then he said, well, he said, oh, well, life goes on, doesn't it? But then he paused and he said, well, I guess we'll all be together someday. It was the ultimate promise. It it was a father and son moment of covenant renewal, is what it was. Don't bury me in Egypt. It, It was a microcosm of Jacob and Joseph in that moment between my dad and I, pointing to our future. But we'll all be together someday, pointing to our promises. What did Jesus say? I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a home for you. And if I'm going to go, I'm going to come back to get you and take you there. And you know what's amazing? Hebrews 11 goes on to say these very people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all these guys, Do you know what they were and and their wives and the women, the, the men and women of God's people. They were pointing and hoping for that very future place. Do you know that? Look at Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Is this us? It is. And having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. How was Jacob able to leave his home? How was he able to let go? Why was he able to die in peace so far from home? Why was he able to stand before a strange ruler in a strange land? The promises of his heavenly home. The promises of the future city, the promises for what awaited him past even Cain in the promised land, the promise of his future home. How can you and I enjoy moments at holidays or other good moments in life and not just feel like everything comes undone when they disappear? It's that greater home, that greater desire, the coming city. How can we live here and serve and take risks and redeem to be redeemed and, and blessed to be a blessing, even if it hurts? Not have things always work out the way we planned them and suffer and all filled with joy and hope? It's because this world isn't the ending. it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. This is the little blip on the radar of eternity. A tiny fraction. So what are we waiting? What are we awaiting? This table points us to it. It points us to what Jesus secured for us. What Jesus has gone to prepare. What Jesus is bringing back. That's what we await. You heard it in the verses. A homeland. A better country than this one. A heavenly one. And a holy city. The new Jerusalem. That's what this table points us to. That desire in my heart as we drove away from my father's house uh, at the end of Christmas, was really it was a good desire. But it was really a desire for something even greater: another world, another land. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, most probable explanation is i was made for another world it's coming that world is coming this table reassures us of that this morning pray with me for a moment as we get our hearts ready